Okay, for 2,000 years, people, Christians have set aside a day to mark how God's eternal Son was born in order to save us. And we call that day Sunday. Right? So there is a normal focus we should have on the fact that God's Son came to save us. But I realize that sometimes in our ordinary routines of worship, things that are huge and immense can become stale to us. Even certain phrases about God becoming man, even certain truths about God's Son coming for our salvation. And so it is good still to pause and reflect specifically on aspects of Christian truth. Specifically today, like the Incarnation, so that we might appreciate it in new depth for when we ordinarily hear about it. Now, okay, so I bet, I bet, sorry, I'm a Presbyterian. I guess that all of our kids here, our boys and girls, take grammar lessons, right? And you may think that grammar lessons are really boring, but actually you need them so that you know how we must speak according to the rules of grammar so that you can at least try to make sense to other people, right? And the thing is, the the same is actually true of the Christian faith. There are ways that we must speak as Christians, must speak about certain topics. And even certain phrases we need to learn if we are going to make sense as a Christian. And more importantly, on some matters, there are ways that we cannot speak and ways that we must speak specifically if we're even going to be a Christian. And one of those matters where Christians have a a certain grammar concerns the person Jesus Christ. And so we are considering from Colossians 1 how to speak about who Jesus is as God's eternal son who was born in a human nature. This exploration gives us opportunity to think not only about the the theological dimension of who Jesus is, but also how Christians have learned to state these truths in specific ways over the centuries and, and how these truths are glorious helps for our lives. So the main point is that Jesus Christ is God's eternal and fully divine Son who became man for our salvation. Jesus Christ is God's eternal and fully divine Son who became man for our salvation. We're going to think about this in three points. The Creator entered creation, the clarification of categories, and the comfort in Christ. So, the Creator entered creation. And you can probably already see where I'm coming from with this, even just from the reading of our passage. But let's pause to think for a second about how we can illustrate one of these points. So I am guessing that our kids, again, have just received a new batch of toys, good things with which they can play. Now, if you have a brother or sister or multiple of those, one of your problems is 
How are you going to prevent them from snatching your new stuff? Right? You've got this issue. How do you stop them from taking all the things that you just received? Now, one thing you could do is you could, you could make a big circle on the ground. You could put all your things in this, and then you can stick a sign on this circle with your name on it. So if I have a, a big circle here with all the things that belong to me in it, and then I'm going to stick a, a sign with Harrison right on it. So you know all the things here in this circle. I hope you can see it as well as I can. In this circle are mine. That's my stuff. And this sign marks everything that belongs to me. It includes all the things that are mine. So I can stand outside the circle knowing all of my things are safely marked inside the circle. Now, okay, so what What if I take this sign off that says Harrison's stuff, if I just rip that off, and I replace it with a sign that says the created universe. So then we know that everything in this circle is something that God made. This circle includes all of the things that God created. If it's in the circle, God made it. And if it's not in the circle, then it's God, since God is the only being that isn't created. Right? So, now the point, if you're starting to wonder what that is, the point is that Paul does something similar in Colossians 1, 15 to 18, if you'll read those verses with me. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. The, the circle is drawn really clearly there, right? So in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, the point there is to, to eliminate any category you might raise as an objection. All things were created through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now these verses reveal that the person Jesus Christ was involved in the creation events and made, he made Everything that was created. Now, as we read in, in Genesis 1, God is the creator of the universe. And, and we've heard about that in the Psalms that we sang already, right? And so that raises two points for us that we have to see. First, Jesus Christ is not created, but creator. Jesus' person belongs outside the circle that we drew around all of the things that are the created universe. There was never a time when Jesus Christ, God's Son, did not exist. He always existed. Now second, knowing that the Bible affirms that God is the creator 
We see that Jesus Christ is not simply creator, but the creator God. Jesus stands outside the circle of created things, which means that he is God. He is, as our text says, the firstborn over all creation, certainly not in the sense of being the first creation, since this passage clearly affirms that he made everything. But in the sense that in the ancient world, the firstborn was the most prized family member. Colossians says something else, though, about Jesus Christ in verse 18. And he is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be Preeminent, And we start to see something perhaps in intention here, or at least something surprising. This verse is about how Jesus is the, the supreme leader of the church. He is its head in that he is its ultimate governor, and there is no other preeminent leader in the church besides Jesus. He is also... Its head, not just as its leader, but also as its source. So, how how do you start growing a plant? Well, you, you have to get a seed. You have to put your seed in the ground, which then that seed sprouts into the full plant, whatever you're trying to grow. Now, now that little seed you started with it is the source, the head. For the rest of the plant. Which is like how Jesus is the source, the head of the church. He is the the firstborn from the dead. Meaning that others, he's the firstborn from the dead. Because others will be born from the dead too. Because Jesus has been resurrected. We know that all who believe in him will also rise. From the dead. Just like the first blossom on the rose bush means that more are about to follow, so Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead means that are, are going to follow. Now, may, maybe you already sense the problem we need to reconcile, right? We've said two things that Jesus Christ is the creator God, Governing the whole universe. But also that this creator God is the source of the church by rising from the dead in order to raise Christians in our bodies from the dead. How how is it that the creator God, who, as we've said, stands outside creation, how is it that this creator God can rise from the dead inside creation and the answer is in verse 19 for because right because in him jesus christ all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell that is the answer paul tells us that the creator god entered creation by having the eternal son the second person of the trinity be born in a human nature. Jesus Christ can be both 
the Creator God, who stands eternally above and outside creation, and be the man who rose from the dead in ancient Israel because God's fullness dwells in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 verse 9 repeated this point, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Deity fully walked the earth in Christ. The creator entered creation when God the Son assumed human nature as Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our second point, the clarification of categories. So we've seen that Jesus Christ is the man in whose fullness dwells, which leaves us with two categories, right? The eternal creator God and humanity, but yet Jesus Christ is somehow part of both. And so what I want to think about in this point is, is how to clarify how we need to speak about Jesus Christ as both divine and human. I hope you see that we have to deal with those categories from our text, and now I want to think about how we can speak well about this. So, okay, if you want to be a Presbyterian minister, you have to pass exams, which are more than daunting. And so, so one of the things you have to do is some of them take place on the floor of presbytery, which means that you stand in front of all the ministers and ruling elders of a specific region and answer any question they want to ask you. Right, so just a short order there. Presbyterians never have questions for people. So I attend, so in preparation for this, it's a good idea to go and watch other people do it so that you get a sense of what certain people might ask and what are the issues that they think are particularly dominant that they need to handle. So I attended some of these to prepare for mine, and, and there was one instance where there was a man who was trying to transfer from pastoring a, a Baptist church into pastoring a, a congregation in the Presbyterian Church in America. And so they asked him, how many natures does Christ have? And he responded, I've never really thought about that before. <laughs> now, okay, so now during most of these exams, most of the pastors and elders are kind of tinkering on their laptops, finishing. They, they take place on Saturday in America, so preparing sermons, finishing something up for the service, something like that. But, it, but in this case, every head shot up, laptops closed, and ministers locked in on this guy like sharks with blood in the water. Now, maybe that is a weird question to you, but... Actually, it's one of the first things we need to know to speak well about Christ is how many natures he has. So since the first centuries of the church, Christians recognized that we need to speak of Jesus Christ as one person with two natures. So we, we've talked about, right, how Jesus is the creator God. We've seen that in our passage. So he, he has a, a divine nature. He has 
all the characteristics that God has. He's the image of the invisible God. But he's also the man who rose from the grave to secure our resurrection. So he has a human nature. He has all the characteristics that are needed to be truly human. So let's think about this a little bit more. What, what, what is this about? We know that God is all-powerful, right? We know that God is eternal. He's present everywhere. He's all-knowing. And because Jesus Christ is God, He is all those things. He is, as Colossians said, the image of the invisible God. And because Jesus Christ has every attribute that God has... We say he has a divine nature. Now God the Father eternally has a son who always existed in the Godhead before the universe began. We've seen in our passage before all things, right? Who is always with God the Father and is God. The Son pouring forth in his person from the Father forever. Now, on the other hand, we can think about other passages of Scripture, right? About That tell us about how Jesus Christ, who is this divine person, was born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, grew, as Luke 2.52 tells us, in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He ministered on earth, was crucified by Romans, and rose from the grave in a body, his body, and ascended into heaven in that same body. Jesus Christ has everything that human beings have. He has a brain, a soul, a physical body. And so we say he has a human nature. God's Son, no, We've got to start to pull this together. God's Son never quit being God. Not when He entered creation. Never. He was always God's Son. He was always God who eternally existed with the Father. And so we say that Jesus is a divine person. So not a human person. He's a divine person who remains the divine Son. That divine person of the Godhead. But this divine person, I'm repeating it so that it's there, (laughs) took upon himself a human nature by being born out of Mary's womb. And this is how we have to learn to speak. This is the grammar lesson, right? One divine person with two natures, a divine and human nature. Now, this is, if you're confused, if you're like, what is this? It's an immense mystery. This is the best we can do, is learn to speak how we should. But just because it's a mystery, we shouldn't dismiss nor neglect it. Just because it's difficult or because it involves learning specific ways to speak. Instead, we we actually should praise God for His provision across the history of our church. For His provision in helping us clarify these categories. So, we come to our third point. 
the comfort in Christ. Okay, so uh, let's get back up to speed. We saw that the Creator entered creation, and then we've taken this kind of deep dive into how we must speak of one person in two natures. And now, and now we want to turn and think about how are these magnificent truths, which may be difficult, helpful, useful for our lives. So, first application is that actually we should start to learn how to be more amazed at how God is able to achieve this miracle of the incarnation to provide a savior for us. We can see how amazing the incarnation is, which should lead us to worship by considering how Jesus Christ is perfectly God and man. So when the, when the son was conceived in the virgin's womb, he didn't lose his divinity. But he also did not become a sort of new breed of, of superhuman. Jesus is, so I want to illustrate not the incarnation itself, but terms. So if we think about like an egg, the, the white and the yolk are distinct things, and yet they are united. If you open an egg, you know, just take the little top off and, and try to look in there. You can see that there is a white and a yolk stuck together, and yet they're distinct. Now, Jesus' natures are like that in a sense. Every illustration runs into heresy really fast, so please don't push that. I realize it could break down. So these natures, though, Jesus is divine and human nature, can't be blended together, which we can do with an egg, but you can't do that with Jesus. Now, okay, why does that matter? Let's think about it for a second. So, God, sorry, God is present everywhere. God fills the universe with his presence, which means that God the Son is present everywhere according to his divine nature. And yet, this everywhere present God was able to take on a body that is present in only one place at a time. Jesus Christ in his body is in heaven right now. And that's an amazing thing, that the, that the infinite present God, the infinitely present God could enter a, a human nature. I mean, it's got, so I have this kind of personality where if you, if you ever go camping, you always take a poncho, right? Is that what they call them here? The, the rain thing? So, and they come in the little bag, and you open it up, and you use it, and then you think, what do I do with this? And I always wish, never happens, that I could fold it back up in the same way and put it in the bag. And yet... What do you end up doing? You take the whole thing and you just cram it in there as much as you can and it's spilling out everywhere and it's never going back in the bag <laughs> in which it came. And that's kind of an illustration of what's going on here. The infinite God somehow took on this human nature in Jesus Christ. Now, here's why this should amaze you. Think about this. 
as, as Mary, we've, we've sung about, uh, Mary's experience as the mother of God. Think about how as, as, at the same time that Mary nursed Jesus as a little baby to sustain his human needs, at the same time Jesus upheld Mary's very existence according to his deity. Colossians 1.17 says, In him all things hold together. Even as Jesus depended upon his mother for his earthly needs, Mary depended on Jesus for her earthly and heavenly needs. What an amazing thing. Mary was God's mother according to Jesus' human nature, but Jesus simultaneously was Mary's creator according to his divine nature. What a phenomenal thing. Now, let's push this a bit further to see how this dawn of the Incarnation actually doesn't just amaze us, but it also shows us how much God loves us. Colossians 1, 20-23 tells us about how God the Son became human in order to reconcile us to God. It says that we rebelled against God, which left us, left us alienated from And now God, who is the creator of the universe, could have instantly destroyed us the moment that we sinned. God didn't even have to do something new to destroy us. He could have simply stopped willing that we exist and let the universe collapse. We had failed Him, and we continue to fail Him, after all. But God, who is rich in loving mercy, sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us from the penalty of our sins. And I want to think about that in light of all we've considered. How much, consider how much God, even specifically God the Son, must love His people to do that. If all things hold together at every moment in Christ, that means that even as the Roman soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross, Jesus upheld their very existence. Not just simply, but even upheld their existence so that they would finish murdering Him. So that He would be given to buy you back from hell. Even as you sin against God every day by breaking His law, lusting after what is not yours, and mistreating your fellow people, even as you do that, Jesus Christ upholds your very existence. And yet Jesus died for rebels like the Romans who killed Him. And like you and me, 
who are no better. The Son of God, the preeminent one who made you and against whom you rebelled, came to earth in human nature, not for himself, but for you, so that he could reconcile you to God if you would place your trust in him. So then the question is, have you placed your trust in this Jesus Christ? I hope that it is more than obvious right now that Jesus Christ is not just a moral teacher. That Christ is not just another religious figure. He is likely not even the mild-mannered stereotype you've seen. He is the true God who assumed human nature because we were cursed. And he assumed our nature so that he could buy us back from that curse. Christ is the God who clothed himself in creation so that he might redeem his creatures. He is the creator but assumed true humanity so that he might be the God who came to his people so that he might bring his people to God. And for that, we flee to him in faith for our salvation and all that we need. And we should turn to him now in prayer. Father God, we give you immense praise for this miracle of the incarnation. The reason for it, that you would send forth your eternal son, God of God, who should destroy us, and yet you gave him in our nature to have us back. You bought us with the most valuable life there ever could be. The life of the divine person, God's Son. And we praise you not just for that miracle of working salvation, but also the miracle of being able to do this. No other God of which anyone has ever conceived could do this miracle of uniting divinity and humanity in such a way that neither are compromised and yet humanity is redeemed and divinity is glorified. There is no God like that other than you. And so we praise you for your mighty works of creation and salvation and incarnation. We ask that you would help us to marvel at this, that we would learn to love it, that we would appreciate it, we would give thanks for how you've taught us to speak about this over the centuries, and that we would give thanks that we can worship you in reconciliation because of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name, for his sake. Amen.